The book of Acts, the 10th chapter. If you do not have a Bible, um, well, our normal Bible hander outer is not here, so I got Josiah up here. Um, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get one to you. Yeah, you just go ahead and take that one, Chris. <laughs> Acts 10. How many of us believe in the power of prayer? Raise your hand. How many, how many of us have seen the direct result of God's moving in prayer? Third question. How many of us believe that there's spiritual warfare that goes on in the midst of prayer? <laughs> You know, do you ever, like, struggle with praying? Yeah, yeah. What are the reasons? What are the reasons why you struggle with prayer? What are, what are some of the things that are happening? Bit, yeah, busyness, just distraction. Say that again? Distractions, yes. All of a sudden, we start going through all the things we're to do today. Not worthy of prayer, okay? Lack of focus. That, yep, yep, right along with the distractions. Yeah, just keeping your mind focused on prayer. Hmm. Can we dare to say disobedience? Because the reason why you're struggling with letting go is because you know there's something God's calling you to do, right? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I've been there. Yes, yeah, unconfessed sin. Yeah, in fact, the Bible says that in Psalm 66, 18, says that, that if we cherish sin in our heart, the Lord will not listen to us. Yeah. Unforgiveness, yes. Yeah, and and that's, that's another obedience issue, isn't it, right? It really is an obedience issue. Yes, ma'am. So you get caught up in kind of negativity, and that kind of drives you to not, Pray, yeah. Yes, procrastination, yeah, P putting off something, yeah. Mm. Okay, which can drive to the unworthiness. Mm -hmm. And when you feel unworthy or unforgiven, that, yeah, it, it, it stops you from praying. Mm. Yes, yes, yeah, John. No answers to prayer. Like you're praying and praying. I've been praying for a long time and it's just nothing seems to be happening. Why? It almost feels like, do I continue to pray? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Hmm. Yeah, of course, unbelief is going to, yeah. Because prayer is an act of faith, isn't it? It is an act of faith. And it is, it is one of our greatest gifts one of our greatest gifts. I think that there's no... Yeah, go ahead, Daniel. Okay, it's gone. Yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. Prayer is... Um, uh, I think that prayer is our, is our, great, is, is our greatest communion with God. 
It is our greatest act of faith, in, and prayer is where things do change. The song that Ryan led us in before the, before the message is prayer does bring change. And, and so um, I wanted to bring you to Acts 10. You remembered? Pride. Pride. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. And so I brought you to Acts 10 because I think this is one of the, uh, an amazing account. The Holy Spirit is moving um, uh, from, from the beginning of Acts. It, it, the, the prayer was, uh, the, excuse me, the church was birthed and uh, prayer was foundational to that as, as the Holy Spirit moved while uh, they were coming together in prayer and he's been moving through Acts and we get to chapter 10, we get the story of Peter in a, in a great move of God in an amazing time, in, in, a, in a very unusual way. You know, don't you find that sometimes we put religious constructs around God and say, well, you can only move this way. You can only move this way, and it, it's a lie. But I think that one of the things that stops us from praying the most is when we're offended. When our hearts are offended by something or, or someone or God is calling us into a world of offense and, and uh, that doesn't seem to fit into our agenda and we are called to cry out to God about it and, um, and we're offended by it. And so, in some instances, we don't. We're going to find that out about Peter today, uh, that he was being called to walk into something that would have been very offensive to him. And God was calling him, would you, will you follow me, even though this isn't the way you've been brought up, even though this isn't what you've been taught, this is just totally, will you follow me? And, uh, and so let's begin reading together. Um, the, the contextual is the fact that Peter has been traveling around the country. He's been traveling uh, within a 50-mile radius in Acts 9. He's called Joppa because of the death of a woman. And her name is Tabitha. And the people had cried out because she was such a kind person. And so Peter got on his knees. He prayed and then experienced God raise Tabitha from the dead and ended up in a tanner's house by the name of Simon. And so chapter 10 picks up there. It says, At Caesarea uh, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in which was known uh, as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. As I think about this passage, some things about prayer that that I think are so important. Did you realize that prayer never existed in the garden? 
Adam and Eve didn't need prayer because they were in the presence of God 24-7. But once the fall came, prayer became an important virtue of a believer. Why? Because it was the vehicle that God had used to bring communion back, back with his people. In Genesis 4.26, is recorded the first time after the fall, it says that people began to call on the name of the Lord. That's what prayer is. He says that if you cry out to me, if you call to me, I will answer you and show you great and unsearchable things that you cannot know. It is calling on the name of the Lord that prayer is. Is your heart in a place that you are driven to call on the name of the Lord? What Cornelius' heart was, isn't that an amazing thing? Um, His heart was called by God to call on the name of the Lord. I think this is very important for us to understand, that it all starts with a sovereign move of God. By God's mystery of election, he began to shine a light uh, into a dark Roman heart. We know that, that this is a, Ro- uh, a Roman centurion. Uh, the, 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 um, um, Rome was broken up into groups of, um, uh, of 6,000 um, and then broken down into um, centurions, which usually would take about 100 men underneath them. And so there would be 60 of these centurions would be in charge of a hundred men. And so this man uh, was, was this centurion. But it's, it's interesting to note that he was God-fearing because he was exposed to the Jewish teachings, which were primarily the Old Testament. And so from the Old Testament, he began to believe in this one God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Some people today say the Old Testament's not important. I say, that is wrong. I believe that God, that the reason the Old Testament's important because it's it's a picture of a sovereign God who's moving today and it's a picture of you and me who keep running away. Anybody testifying to that? Amen. Keep running away. Amen. Just like the Israelites of old. Such an important picture of keep us in our mind but that God's never given up on us. And he continues to run after us even when we run away. But I think that what we see here also is um, uh, that is so important is what it says about the fact that, that, every, that the good that he's doing has come up as a memorial offering before the Lord, as a sweet fragrance, Old Testament uh, picture of the people coming before and living their acts out but doing it in honor of God. Not as, hey, look at what I'm doing, but that I'm serving you and I'm giving it to you as a gift. My life is a gift to you. Old Testament picture of that. I find it interesting that there are two things that come up before the Lord. One is the good works that we do. It's never forgotten by God. He sees all the things that you do in his name. The other thing that comes up before the God is the injustice that's done in this world. I know that there has been a great move of sadness in your heart as you've seen injustice in our own nation. And there has been some that have been driven to a deception uh, to focus on that. 
and to allow that to become part of your life. And that's what you talk about all the time. I don't believe God's calling you to do that. He says to you, listen, I see it all. I see every bit of it. And no one is getting away with nothing. For in the end times, everything will be brought to bay. Everything, all, all, the, all the justice that's done will be honored by the Spirit of God. All the injustice will be brought to trial. And he says in James 5, 4, listen to this, talking to rich people who take advantage of the poor uh, who are their workers. He says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. So these things are seen by our God. How does that help? It helps so that we can fall on our knees and pray for people even in our country who are doing and living out injustices. Cry out for them that the Lord may at this even late hour may speak to their hearts and may turn uh, things. The other thing that, I, that, that jumped out at me with these first eight verses is the fact that, uh, that two things I learn about evangelism here. One is that God is always working in the lives of people long before any of us get the guts to knock on a door. God is working on the hearts of people right now in this community. And if we'll walk into... You can ministries in other ways that God has provided for us to meet people. He will reveal to you that he's working. But you've got to have the ability to obey. Um, there, in this last You Can Ministries, Josiah went out. And the first door he knocked on was a young man that worshipped at this church for a while. Jose. Jose and Paulina. I don't know if you remember them. But he liked at Jose. Now, now, when Jose realized who Josiah was, he got real quiet and kind of, and it was a, it was a short conversation. That does not mean that God's not working in Jose's life. In fact, the very fact that God brought Josiah to Jose's door is a movement of the Spirit of God. And so, don't forget that we so much look at evangelism as though it's on our shoulders. It's not. God is working. Um, the other thing is this, what, what amazes me, is the amazing detail of the time that is set up. God is moving right now in your life to place you in certain places so that his gospel can go out. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to be available to be at the place God is calling you? I'm going to be honest with you, it's, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be denying yourself, taking up your cross daily and following him. It's going to be laying your life down and saying, all right, today, God, is your day. You got something for me today to do. I'm, I'm willing. Cornelius has this vision. And he had to respond to it. You know, Sometimes people say, you know, if, I, if God would just speak to me directly, I would do it. Hasn't he? Hasn't he spoke to you directly and personally? Yes, he has. He has spoken to you directly, and he has, he has this plan, and he has, 
He is calling you. He's calling you. It's exactly why we've been called as a church here. And so, um, as we move through the story, we're going to find out the, we already see in Cornelius' life the importance of regular prayer, but we're going to also find that out in Peter's life. Do you have a daily time in God's word and in prayer to him? Do you have a time that you've set aside every day uh, to be with God? I, I, I'm going to say something that I, I think is so important for you to hear. I believe more than preaching, more than singing, and even reading God's word, it is during our prayer times that he speaks to our hearts. If you remember what Jesus said about this place, he said, my house should be called a house of prayer. Amen. Amen. And so as we move forward and as we think about Cornelius, as we think about the fact that his offering is going up before the Lord um, as a memorial offering, as we see that he's set prayer aside as he sees that this, this um, Roman centurion obeys immediately in verse 8. I hope your minds and hearts are just moved to say, God, who are you doing that in my life? Who are you setting up? And they're obeying and following, and will I? Will I? Why is it a question, will I obey? We're followers of Jesus Christ, right? Our lives are, your, are his. What is the reason why we hesitate? I think offense is the greatest reason. We've become offended by culture. We've been offend, offended by somebody's sin. We've been offended by... Um, I think, I think comfort is an offense because when I'm trying to protect my own comfort, it offends me when my comfort is in any way, shape, or form looking to be taken away from me. And when we become offended, we then pull back. I'm not going to do that. And we sit back. Peter is going to face a great offense. And he's got to do something about it. Verse 9, let's continue. About noon the following day, as they were on the journey and approaching the city, Peter went on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him in a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking for Simon, who was known as Peter, who was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Peter, three men are looking for you. 
So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. So not only a sovereign move of God in the life of Cornelius, but now we're coming to a very important event, and that is a submitted heart before God. Do you have a submitted heart before God? What does it mean to submit? It means to yield to an action, control and power of another. I'm going to tell you this. It is the number one problem you're going to have to submit to the action and control and the power of God in your life. You'll accept religion. That's okay. You know, as long as you can put your constructs in place and all the things and fit them neatly together so you go to church on Sunday and you go to Bible study on Wednesday night and you've got everything in your place. But for the rest of your life, I want to do what I want to do. Amen? It's true. It's the thing I struggle with. It's the thing you're going to struggle with. Because the pride, you said it, the pride of the heart of a man, of a woman, is going to be the greatest, the greatest wall to overcome. Now, the Holy Spirit can crush it, but you've got to give him authority to do that. Peter was facing, was facing an issue. He had been taught as a young boy from the Old Testament that there were things you do not eat. God laid it out completely in the Old Testament. I can go back there, but I think it would be distracting to where the Holy Spirit wants to lead us today. But he had a whole list of things. And those are the things that God brought before him on a sheet and said, kill and eat. Now, Peter had been under Jesus' teaching that said that now all things, all things have been given to you. The Apostle Paul took that even farther and he said that Everything can be received as long as it's received in thanksgiving. And it's true. What happens when you receive something in thanksgiving? You realize whether it's good for you or not. Right? Everything is permissible. The the freedom of Christianity is this. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but I will be mastered by nothing. It, it's, it's the undergirding of Christianity. We have the most freedom in the world. Can I drink? Yes, I can. But by the Holy Spirit, I determined that overdrinking is bad for me. Can I steal? Yes, I can. But by the Holy Spirit, I come to realize that stealing would be an offense against a brother or sister and a creation of God, so I won't steal because I want nothing to come between me and God or between me and, and, and somebody else. But I still have the freedom. That you, you don't totally agree with me on all this. 
But it's true. There is no greater, freer place in the world than to walk in communion with God because you have the freedom to do all things and the discernment not to do the things that are wrong or that. Not, not, because, not because Leon is telling me, Wayne, you can't do that, but because God's Spirit is saying to Wayne, you can't, don't do that. that isn't, I, that's not what I have for you. How much of our life is wasted in developing our own constructs and our own rules and regulations when he's saying, yeah, it's much more freer than that. It's much more freer than that. Come on, live into me, commune with me, and you and I walk together, and you'll have a free path to live this life. You won't sit there and, and, and be under the burden of, of judgment of yourself. In fact, Paul said himself, you know, I don't live under the judgment of other people. In fact, I don't even live under my own judgment. Because God is the one who judges me. And the freedom of the Spirit gives me the freedom to live. And so God is teaching Peter here. In the midst of this offense, in the midst of prayer, this. Again, I go back to this. What does it take? First of all, it says that Peter went up to the roof to pray. People of God, we have to have regular prayer. It is the greatest war you're going to have in your life. To pray daily is going to be the greatest war. I just want you to know that because it is a, it is a spiritual warfare. Because, because when Josiah's on his knees, he's the strongest he can be in his whole life. And so the evil one's going to say, uh-uh, you got time. You know, Caper College has a lot of things for you to do today. And, you know, Elizabeth, she's, so, she's not here. So we can talk about her. We, no. <laughs> but, but, but people of God, regular time of prayer. If you don't have regular daily prayer, today, start it. Because in the midst of it, I am telling you God wants to meet with you, but he also wants to talk to you. And it's in that time that he does more than, more than a church service, more than even reading God's word. Prayer is the time where he speaks to you. He can speak to you through the word. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But it's in prayer that he speaks to you. The second thing that we see here is the intimacy of prayer. The intimacy that Peter had in his prayer as he comes and he prays on the roof, um, and even in the midst of the fact that he became hungry and wanted something to eat while the meal was being prepared, in his prayer, intimate before God, he fell into a trance. With intimacy in God, all the structure of religion falls to pieces, and the most important thing is your relationship with the Lord. Your relationship with the Lord. It's the most important thing. And as you come into that place, you open your heart up to God. And you see him for who he is. And you hear him for what he wants. Even though through the, the, the new covenant, the old uh, uh, ceremonial structure of the Old Testament had been abolished for one reason, because Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of them. 
not because they were wrong in themselves. Rob Bell got it wrong. Rob Ball said that if we would have just learned that these sacrifices were a waste of our time, a lot earlier, a lot more animals would have been saved, a lot more things. That's a lie. Every single one of them was a picture of Jesus Christ coming. He's the fulfillment of the law. And so in him, there's a time that I'm very concerned about, and that is when the Jewish sacrifices come back again. Because they are coming back. I believe that. It is going to be such an abomination against God because Jesus Christ sacrificed once for all. No more sacrifices except the laying down of our life. And that's no sacrifice because none of it, none of it is as much as his. When we started this church, God said this to us. In Deuteronomy 11, 10 through 12, he said, The land you are entering to take over is not the land of Egypt from which you have come. It is the land the Lord your God cares for. The eyes of the Lord your God are continually on it from the beginning of the year to its end. Meaning that this church is going to be very different than any experience that you've had in the past. For you to try to recreate what you have in the past besides the word of God, which never changes, would be, would be disrespectful to God. He's doing a brand new thing among us. A brand new thing, and one of the areas that I, I, I just uh, that has been impressed on my heart is the fact that God wants us to truly be a family, not just a social group of people that get together, but a family that invests in each other's hearts, that loves each other, that walks with each other. Tracy continues to struggle with people that have left because she doesn't get. She didn't have a family. She said, I used to watch big families and just wonder what that would ever be like. And she says, at the pier, you guys have introduced me for the first time to a family. And she always wonders why people leave. Aren't these your brothers and sisters? Why would you leave them? She always reacts that way. And so, and so um, that is what God is doing among us. And so I'm going to say it. I haven't said it for a while. Who are you walking with? Because if you're not walking with somebody amongst our family or somebody new that you're introducing to the Lord in this place, you're missing what God has had for this. Because it's not going to be like where we came from. It's going to be different. That's not bad. That's actually amazing. Because how many people's lives, especially today, are isolated? Don't they need Jesus Christ in their life? Don't they need a brother and sister that will walk with them? Yes. Yes, they do. And so it starts with regular prayer. It starts with intimacy. And then thirdly, prayer opens the door to forth telling. The voice, verse 15 says, The voice spoke to him a second time, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. There is a lot of time being spent in prophecy today. Prophecy is foretelling of things that are coming. And I'm not against that. In fact, I think it's probably very important because I think we're seeing a lot of prophetic things unfolding in front of us. But just as important is foretelling. Foretelling is what is God saying to you about how he feels about what's going on right now? 
about what's happening around you. And he talks individually to your life if you'll let him. He'll talk individually to each one of us and talk about how he feels about what's happening in your life, in your family's life, in, in, in your business, uh, in the people that you work with, in, um, in the community around you, what's happening in the government, what's happening around the world. He'll say those kind of, and if we're listening, if we're listening, why is he doing it? Because he's saying, I want you to be an impact to the world. And you're not going to be if you don't understand what's going on around you, if you don't understand what I'm bringing in front of you. Cornelius is coming. Peter doesn't know it. God is teaching him. God is teaching him something so that he can be available. It's the same thing with us. What is God saying to you today? in your prayer time, that he is teaching you so that you can be available and be the gospel to somebody today. All of us. All of us. And yes, you can prove it by the word. Could Peter prove what, what God was trying to teach him by the Old Testament? Was God wanting the Jewish people to be a light to the Gentiles? Had they failed in that? Exactly. So it is the forth telling of God and the heart of God will never deviate from the word of God. Never deviate from it. What is he saying? What is he trying to tell you? What is he trying to tell me? And fourthly, in verse 15 through 16, prayer builds compassion against prejudicial impurity. The voice spoke to him a second time and said, do not call anything impure that God has made pure. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back. If you know anything about our God, whenever he talks to us three times about something, he's trying to make an impact on our life. You agree with that? What has he said to you three times? What does he keep hitting you with? Are you listening? He's trying to build the compassion of heart. You remember when Jesus Christ came to Jerusalem? He said, you know, they are sheep without a shepherd. They're harassed. Isn't it amazing how when people go through hard things and struggles, which we all do, and it offends us, What's the first thing we normally do? Back away from them. Don't we? Yeah, we scatter like sheep, yeah. Oh, ooh. Boy, that's a whole nother sermon. Yes, girl. <laughs> yes. Aren't the wolves getting people? Because they've been scattered from the flock. Our call is to gather them, but we're not going to gather them unless we have a compassionate heart for them. And that's a heart that is, that, that literally, just like Jesus Christ, it's an incarnate heart. It's a heart that moves into the pain of another, feels it, and then walks. 
our schedules. We're being taught to be isolated. We're being taught to separate. We're being taught, you know, even, even though they, the world keeps screaming at us about uh, prejudice, they're actually trying to push us deeper into it because the enemy knows that separation is really where the work gets done. But we have a promise. Peter had a promise by the Apostle Paul with the Holy Spirit made known to all those who follow him. It says, for he himself is the peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier in Ephesians. The dividing wall of hostility. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. When I talk about prejudice, we immediately do go to prejudice against race. But how many other prejudices aren't there? There's prejudice of position as though because um, we uh, view ourselves as some kind of value that that holds us as a position over others. Prejudice of financial status that somehow money has separated us from each other. And that uh, because we're wise enough to make and save our money, it puts us at a different level than other people. And then prejudice of the chosen, which is probably number one destroyer of all evangelism opportunity. When a person feels as though they're superior because of their faith. As though God was right to choose them. This, of course, was what the Jews struggled with. But he said in Deuteronomy, he said, I didn't choose you because of your great size. Or because of how great you were, I chose you because of my great love for you. You were the smallest of love amongst nations, and yet I chose you. If you haven't been hit by the humble reality that none of us deserve a relationship with the king kings, then you qualify to be prejudice of the chosen. For it is the unworthiness is actually can be an entrance to a gift. If you let it lead you to shame, it's off kelter. If you let it lead you to humility and the great gift we have been given in Jesus Christ and that we did not earn or deserve it, then it becomes a great gift for you to humble yourself and to love others in a way that he is. It is Christ's sacrifice alone his atonement for each one of us that even allows us to sit in the seat and even allowed, allows us to be worshiping him. Wake up. He's a great gift to us. And he wants to be not something that just held on to. We're called to be blessed so that we can be a blessing We have to, as the airplane would say, we have to put on the oxygen mask first so that we can help others put their oxygen mask on. God is calling us to do that. And you don't hear it any more than in prayer. Yeah. Yep. Amen. 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 So, do you have a regular time of prayer? Do you have time of intimacy with God? Do you listen to him speak? And do you, are you letting him build a compassionate um, heart in you? Because I am telling you, no, listen to me, people of God, no greater time 
in our history than right now where there's a great offense that is happening in our world. There's a, uh, there's a commercial that, uh, that I have watched, and Sue kind of laughs at me at time because I get so angry at the commercial. So I thought it was so important for you to hear the one that makes me mad. I thought I'd play it in church. So go ahead and listen to the commercial. It's a lovely day today. So whatever you've got to do, you got a lovely day to do it in. That's true. And I hope whatever you've got to do is something that can be done by two. For I'd really like to stay. It's a lovely day today. And whatever you've got to do, I'd be so happy to be doing it with you. But if you've got something that must be done, and it... Cars built with safety in mind, even for those guys. The Volkswagen Atlas. <laughs> I'm not sure what that has to do with a car at all, but <laughs> one thing that I am so impressed with our culture is that they are able to articulate so well the issue of our culture. What would be the one word that would come out of that commercial? Self-centered, self-focused. Self yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. All the selfies. <laughs> All the self. <laughs> Sorry. And, and yes, there is a great offense because people are so focused on themselves. They're so isolated. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to believe. And, I mean, if, if I, in, the, in a group this size, in the last month, have you been a... Have you been offended by somebody's selfishness? Has it rubbed up against you in some way, shape, or form? Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's something that, that um, is, is huge in our society. And, and so you all feel why Peter would have struggled with what God was about to call him to do. It's walking into the offense. The Proverbs says that, that wisdom gives a man patience. It is to the glory of a man to overlook an offense. It's so easy for Christians to be to, to, to kind of go inward right now and to say, you know, in all the garbage that's happened around us in this world, you know, we got something here, so we're just going to kind of hold on to it ourselves and just stay comfortable and stay quiet. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't going to say this, but I am. Because, because sometimes I've been accused of preaching too hard, and I've been told, um, you know, Wayne, you better live what you're saying, because if you don't, it's deceitful. And they're right. And I'm going to admit to you that offense has stopped me at times from doing what God's called me to do. I sat in a classes meeting 
Bob Overhoff and I. And um, the Christian Reformed Church that we're part of has, has determined to uphold Scripture in regards to same-sex marriage. That, that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And that's Scripture. And they have, at this point in time, they have upheld that. It has gone all the way to the Senate, um, and which is over all the, all the Christian Reformed churches in both Canada and other, other countries and also America. And they have made a ruling that we're going to uphold Scripture. I sat in a classes meeting, and a man stood up and said, I have read the Bible. And I have found no place that God says that same-sex marriage is wrong. Now, I'm going to admit something to you. Nobody stood up in opposition to that. It's all pastors. It's all pastors. No one stood in opposition to it. Your pastor included. People of God, God is calling us to something. And we can't let offense stop us. And I need as much help as you do. Because time is short. And as we see here, not only does prayer to be regular, to be intimate, to build compassion, but prayer also prepares you for God's purpose. In the verses that we read here, it, it, right? So while he was still having, I, I love the fact, and I, you know, while, verse 17 says, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision. You don't know how much I so appreciate that in the, in the passage. There's times I wonder, don't you? There's times I'm not sure what this means, don't you? Yes, and so, and so while he's wondering, the guys come to the gate. <laughs> and just like Wayne Andersma, the spirit needs to say, hey, dude, sh 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 there are three guys waiting for you out there. Go, go, and don't hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Prayer um, sets up God's purpose for your life. Besides love, there is no greater need in a human being than to know that they're living out their purpose. Do you believe that? I do too. I do too. And so, and so, yeah, he, he, Peter goes down and, uh, and, and receives these men in. But I am telling you, people of God, why this is such an important message is because we have been all indoctrinated into comfort. We've been all indoctrinated into what we can get for ourselves. We have been, we have been the, you know, the, it, that was a car commercial. What did that have anything to do with a car except, I guess, the brake that goes, did you notice that the light, that there was a no crossing? That it, so the car had green, but the guy didn't care because he was so self-focused looking at his phone, that he, hey, and then what did he do? Just like all of us, didn't take responsibility, he blamed the car driver. Yeah, he got offended. We see this all the time. 
It's not my fault. It's my parents' fault. It's not my, offense is an amazing, amazing thing. But God is calling us to have our ears open and our hearts open, even in the midst of the offense, so that we can hear it. Isaiah 30 says this, how gracious he will be when you cry for help, pray. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That is for every single person around here. It's not just for pastors. I don't care if you have a college education or a high school education or if you are um, at an office or if your job is so important or if you take out trash for somebody. It does not matter. Everyone has a call. Everyone, the Holy Spirit desires to talk to your heart and to show you the purpose that, you, that he has for you. What an incredible experience in Peter's life. And he went. He went. The next verse says the next day. The next day Peter started out with them. But I love this. We're just, I'm just going to uh, just go through a little bit of this as I close. But I want you to hear it. First of all, as he goes, he's walking into the offense. Don't let that go. He's walking into it because he believes that God has called him to do it. It's out of his religious structural box. It's outside of his offense as a Jewish person. How do I know that? Because he says it. First of all, when he comes in, Cornelius bows down to him in reverence. And Peter says, stand up. In verse 26, I am only a man myself. That's the humility that we got to walk into what God's calling us to do. I'm not doing this because of me. I don't have it all together. I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. I'm doing what God's calling me to do. Secondly, I love the fact that he is honest. If you read in verse 28, he says, You are well aware that it is against our law for a jewel to associate or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. That is huge. Because he's being honest. This is totally against how I was brought up. I'm walking into something that I don't get. But I'm doing it because God sent me to. And then, um, and so I, I love that. I don't think God calls us not to be honest. I think it's okay. You know, when you, when you come to somebody... And, and God has called you to walk with them. There's nothing wrong with you saying, you know, um, I don't totally know where we're going. I don't have all the answers, but I do have the one who is the answer. Why don't we do this together and see where this goes? Honesty is a great policy. People reject people who think they know it all who think they've got all the answers. But if somebody's honest enough to say, you know what, I don't really know totally where this journey is going, but I've been called to do this. I'll walk with you. Let's do it together. I think that's enough honesty that somebody's going to say, okay, he's real enough. They're, she's real enough. Let's do it. Let's do it. So then the next passage, and I, 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 I'm not going to go through this, but he then, Cornelius, recounts what happened, and we read that before. He just kind of tells them over again. But I love this. Verse 34, look at it. Then Peter began to speak. Now I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. 
but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. How big is this? People of God, how big is this? Do you remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said it isn't. He said it's the prostitutes that are going before, and and the tax collectors that are going before you. That was so offensive to them. I've gone to church all my life. I've read God's word. I've prayed. I'm a pretty good person. And Jesus said it's going to take more righteousness than the righteousness of the Pharisees, meaning the righteousness from Jesus Christ. He has to become our righteousness. We can't do this on our own. It is huge for Peter to hear these words and to then understand and to interpret that God shows no favoritism and accepts everyone from every nation who fear him and does what's right. Peter then goes through the gospel. I find it interesting. If you ever want to kind of know an outline of a gospel, this is good. He talks about the fact that Jesus is Lord of all. He goes through the, his deity. He talks about the fact that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. He goes through his humanity. He says, we witnessed his, his life in this world, that he, they killed him by hanging, that God raised him from the dead on the third day. He was not seen by all people, but by witnesses who God had already chosen. Oh, that's so huge. Over 500 people that God chose, according to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, that God chose to be the witnesses so that the word would go forward. And Peter was one of them. So he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify, verse 42 says, and He is the one whom God appointed, what? As what? Judge of the living and the dead. Interesting gospel. Interesting gospel. I don't know if you've thought about that in sharing the gospel that way, but I think it's a great outline. Because it ends, it starts with the fact that Jesus is is God, and it ends with the fact that Jesus being God is going to judge the living and the dead. Amen. Amen. And so, and then, as, as it records here, the Holy Spirit pours out. There's speaking in tongues. There is, um, um, and Peter responds by saying, who we should, nobody should get in the way of, um, of these people being baptized. And they were. And so personal prayer puts you into the passenger seat to, to seeing God's work done. That's what it does. It puts you in the passenger seat to seeing the work of God being done. The James passage says that prayer is powerful and effective. I believe it's powerful and effective to place us in the center of God's will for the movement of Christianity in the world. If you will remember the great Elijah who saw fire fall from heaven and yet after Jezebel's, right? I said it earlier, but after Jezebel's um, A threat of death, he ran for 40 days and 40 nights, and God said, what are you doing here? I think he might be saying that to somebody today. If your life is not in the center of God's will, if you're not on your knees before him, and if you're off making your own decisions, doing your own thing, God is saying to you today, what are you doing here? This is not where I have you. Come to me. 
call out to me. I will answer you, and I will show you what my will is for your life. Russ is celebrating 93 years of living. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. Why is that? Why is he sitting here breathing? Because God has a purpose for him. And it's not done yet. And he doesn't bring his disciples home until his disciples are done with the work. Are the thoughts that you're thinking right now bathed in prayer? Are the actions that you're living out bathed in prayer? Are you letting the Lord lead your life every day? One of the things that, uh, that I want to pick up this year that I have not, and that is getting up in the morning, and I just told a couple of guys uh, uh, this week to hold me accountable to it, is that every morning I want to say, Lord, this is the day you have made. I will rejoice and be glad in it, both in action and attitude, but you have every right to do what you want on this day in my life. Doesn't matter what my appointments are, doesn't matter what I had planned. You have every right. I want to leave you with a personal illustration before we go into a time of prayer. It's a modern illustration of a person who positioned themselves in prayer and got the opportunity to see God work. His name is Jim Simbala. He is the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle. He was on a, in a coffee shop in one week, and as he was reading through the paper, he read a story about in Pakistan. There was an anti-Christian rampage that was going on. The reason for the rampage was because a young couple had gotten married, and as they left, they had thrown graffiti over this young couple. And it was rumored in that town of Pakistan that the graffiti... Was the, um, was the Muslim Bible, the Quran, and that they had ripped up the Muslim Bible in disrespect for the religion and had showered over this married couple. 20,000 people went on a rampage for eight days and there was a family of six that were burned to death during this time. Many Christians went into hiding Jim was so impacted by this that he began to pray right there in the coffee shop for these people. He said, these are my brothers and sisters, and they are suffering. And he, as he was praying, the Holy Spirit just flooded over him, and he began weeping to the point he had to turn to the wall because it was so embarrassing that he was weeping for these people. The next night was their Tuesday night prayer meeting. And so Jim got up in front of the meeting, and he said... Before we get started in our normal uh, uh, meeting, he says, I need to tell you a story. He told them the story about the coffee shop and then cried out to the people to pray. And so they, they grouped up and they just began to pray. As they concluded their time of prayer, a leader was running down the aisle of the Brooklyn Tabernacle and he was waving his arms and he was saying, wife, wife. Jim goes, I don't have a clue what he's saying, but he got him up front and the man said, we have a wife here in this prayer meeting who is the wife of the pastor who worked in that town, who was working in that town with these people. She flew in today and she was 
guided by the Spirit to come and to be amongst our prayer meeting. And so he got her up front. She told the story. And I mean, the people were just shocked. It was amazing. So Jim and his leader got the number of the pastor and they began to call him. Uh, They actually ended up that night taking an offering. But they called him and they uh, found out that the story was true. Saturday night of the same week, um, the anger ramped up and the people were shouting death to the Christians. Jim and the leader of Jim had called the pastor and the pastor said, this is, this is starting to go crazy again. And so Jim and his leader prayed that Saturday night. Sunday morning at 9 a.m., Jim headed for the service. As he went up to go to the service, one of his assistants came up and said, there's a phone call for you. He said, I don't have time to take a phone call. The church is going. He said, it's the pastor from Pakistan. He turned around and went out, and he said, the pastor related to him that, um, that, that there was a, a group of people that had lit um, torches, and that the Christians were huddled in the top of a building, and they were crying out to God in a panic, and they could hear the shouts of these people coming down the street with the torches. They were going to burn them. Jim said to him, he said, be strong, brother. I'm going into the service now, and we'll pray for you. So Jim immediately went up to the service, interrupted the whole service. Uh, His wife was leading the choir and said, we have got to pray. They broke up into groups and began to pray. They sensed a peace and a confidence that the Lord had heard, and, um, and so they went on with their service. Monday morning, this is the phone call that they got. The pastor related that the people were stranded on the roof, clinging to each other. The crowd was approaching with torches. A dark cloud formed in the sky over the city, and it became like night. A torrent of rain hit so fast and so hard that it scattered the mob. And it broke the tension, and Christians went home safe. People of God... The power of prayer reveals the sovereign move of God in this world and in, your, in my life. It's got to be a prayer of regular time, of intimate time, of time listening to God and of building, letting God build that compassionate heart in you. Your and my prayer time moves us in to a position where God can use us on this earth. And so in understanding that, and if that, is there an amen to this? Is there an amen? If that's true, it's a little weak. <laughs> but if it's true, then we're going to spend time praying right now. I know the hour has gotten a little late. Uh, I really believe that God wanted um, all this to be understood. But we want to break into, into groups of maybe four, maybe five. You all have a sheet on your, on your seat, or most of you do. If you don't, there's probably an empty seat somewhere with one. But one of the things that we have found, um, and I'll be honest with Josiah has um, led us very, very well in, and others, is to pray scripture. And so I want you to break up into small groups, and I want you to take your Bible with you. Yes, it can be on your phone. Um, and let's spend some time praying. And I think that, um, as, as Ryan and I talked about this, I think that one of the things that 
we, we need to keep in mind, so many times our prayers kind of talk about all the trouble in the world and talk about diseases, talk about things, and there's nothing wrong with that. But is God working today? Do you see him working today? Can you celebrate and raise up what your heart sees God doing in your world? I think that's good for the human heart, and I, and I think it's good for our God's heart to hear us say, I see what you're doing. I'm on board. I'm here. And so go ahead and break up into small groups, and uh, we're going to spend the next 10 minutes or so in prayer, and then Ryan is going to take us out of, um, in fact, I'm going to go take us into prayer first as we pray before we break up. Uh, but Ryan's going to take us out uh, at appropriate time. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Um, for the service, I thank you, Lord, for, you. I pray, your encouragement to each one of us to pray. And that, Father, each one of us will find time of regular prayer and intimacy with you, listening to you as well as speaking to you, but also, Lord, allowing you to build a compassionate heart because every single human being in this room, in the sound of my voice, you have somebody in their life that you want to prepare their hearts to talk about you two. You're not playing games. This isn't some religious thing we do on Sunday morning. You have somebody in their life. And they're not sensitive to it if they're not willing at times to overlook the offense. Because it may be the person that they have been offended the most by. And so, Father, I just pray that you bless this time and that you be given all the praise and honor and glory. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.